Good morning. <laughs> it's lovely to be here this morning. I'm excited about what I'm going to share with you. And so let's get straight into it. Exodus chapter 14, and we're going to look at from uh, the scriptures from verse 10. What has happened is that Moses has led the people out of Egypt. They've moved towards the Red Sea. They now have come to the shores of the Red Sea. They look to the right, they look to the left, the mountains, and as they turn back, they see Pharaoh's army approaching. So from verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptian, Egyptians, <laughs> Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, to go forward, to go forward. We need to move forward as a congregation. These are strange and difficult times. Just like the times here, they were in a real predicament. This large mass of water was ahead of them. Pharaoh's army was approaching them, and they were in difficult times. But Jesus, God said to them, go forward. And we need to go forward. We've come out of a pandemic. It's now being regarded as an endemic. Whatever that means. It's a downgrade, at least from a pandemic. Uh, there are a lot of other concerns. The country has been in chaos this past year. I had the misfortune of traveling up to Durban to say goodbye to my mom as she moved to Portugal to be with my sister. And having been brought up in Durban, having lived in Durban for many, many years, I looked at that area, it like was not the same. I said to my sister, are you ever going to come back to South Africa? She says, never. We're not living in great times. Fortunately, the Western Cape got away with that. We didn't have to endure that, that drama. You know, when Nehemiah returned from exile and he was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, the Bible says in Nehemiah 9 and verse 25, even in troublesome times. We need to go forward even in troublesome times. I've been in ministry for 40 years. There's never been a suitable time to move forward. There's never been a suitable time to build to add to staff, 
to build a church, to plant out a church. There's never been a suitable time. We have to do it in difficult times. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 4 says, He who observes the wind will now sow, will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. You see, if we, if we look, okay, no, it's not favorable times. Let's just hold back on it. Today, today we need to move forward. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, the world was in turmoil. I mean, they were suffering under the yoke of Roman r rule. And there was death. There were wars taking place. I have no doubt that there were also diseases that were killing people. And it wasn't favorable, but Jesus said, go and make disciples. And we need to step out in faith. We need to step out and go forward with the strength of our Lord. Times of adversity will always be there, but times of adversity in God are times of opportunity. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9, for, great, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. A door has been opened, and there are many adversaries. If we look through God, through the lens of God, to problems, they will turn into opportunities. But we look at God through problems, doors will slam shut. What has transpired with us in the last two years is that we've planted out two congregations. I was just, as I said earlier, just so impressed with what was happening at Gordon's Bay. I spoke to Willem during the week, and Willem t reported that there had been 50 people at Grabo. 50 people at Grabo. I mean, that's a rough neighborhood that, eh? <laughs> it's not as nice and as easy as Somerset West. But 50 people had gathered, and I was just so encouraged as a result of that. Last year, or two years ago, we moved into lockdown at the beginning of 2020, and we had... I mean, we asked the question, how do we do ministry? And we had to readjust everything about, we came back and there was a maximum of 50 people in church. So we had two services, one at the Fortrickle Hall and one here that ran concurrently so that we could at least attract people. We started uh, Gordon's Bay in March of last year, and that has grown incredibly. And I just thank God for what has taken place. During the lockdown period, Josh Chen started 15 churches. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. So we need to move forward. We need to move forward. Some churches are closing down. Some that were in a process of decline anyway have really got uh, problems. I came out of the Presbyterian denomination, and one of my uh, friends that I was at university with, he's a colleague, and he's had to close his church. He had to sell the property. But what kind of church do we see here in Somerset West? I just want to mention a couple of points that probably would be able to uh, bring some vision. I see a church of influence. A church that has so much influence in the Helderberg Basin that people cannot ignore it. I see a church that worships God with heartfelt passion. And that during the passion, people's hearts are swayed. And in that worship, the wonderful name of Jesus is exalted. I see a church whose altars are constantly filled 
with repentant sinners responding to the call of salvation. I see a church that is so dependent on the Holy Spirit that nothing would stop it or stand against that church, whose people are unified, praying for God's Spirit to come. In Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2, Habakkuk cries out, Lord, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. That must be our prayer as well. Come, Lord. Come and, and, and pour out your spirit upon each one of us. I see a church that is so word-based in its preaching that lives are changed and People reach their full kingdom potential. I see a church that is so kingdom-minded that they will count the cost, whatever the cost is, whatever the price is, to see Jesus Christ exalted. I see a church who has uh, an environment, who provides an environment where people flourish with their God-given gifts and are encouraged to pursue their dreams. We can't have a church that are filled of pew warmers. That's, that's not a biblical way. We can't have a church of pew warmers and preacher graders who have got a whole lot of opinions about the Sunday service. I want a church that is active and the biblical understanding of churches that we are ministers of the new covenant, that we have to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And we need to say... We leaders need to say to you as a church, you let, we let you go. Go out. Do the work of the kingdom. That's the kind of church that we need to see. We need to see a church that is just so committed to raising and training and empowering future leaders that they make a huge change and are tremendously influential in the kingdom of God. That's the kind of church that we see. So today I want to say, let's go forward. Let's go forward. Now the interesting thing about that passage is that the English in verse 15 doesn't encompass all that the Hebrew is wanting to suggest or wanting to communicate. Those words, go forward, has got the Hebrew, nor sha, in it, which means... Pull up your tent pins and move forward. But if in the English, we wouldn't have understood that. Pull up your tent pins. There are tent pins that need to be full, uh, pulled up. If you're camped on past hurt feelings, I want to say to you, you need to pull up those tent pins and move forward. If you're in a place of anger and have been there for too long, my message to you this morning is pull up those ten pins and move forward. If you're in a place of depression and negativity, pull up those ten pins and move forward. If you're in a place of resentment and bitterness, pull up those ten pins and go forward. If you're in a place of laziness and ease and comfort and satisfaction and complacency, I want to say to you, pull up those ten pins and go forward. God is ready to take us on a journey, to take us on the adventure of our lives. Let's set aside depression. Let's set aside any kind of complacency and ease and experience the joy and the happiness that the Lord longs to give.
that He will be able to stretch us. Let us set us aside comfort and satisfaction. Somebody's alarm is going off. And experience a hunger and a thirst after the things of God. That we would be able to experience a greater dimension of His glory. God, to God told Moses, I want you to get up. Pull up those tent pins. I want you to go forward. I didn't bring you out of Egypt to leave you here. I didn't bring you out of Egypt for you to be captured, recaptured, and taken back to Egypt by Pharaoh and his chariots. I didn't bring you out of Egypt for you just to be here and camp here for the rest of your lives. I brought you out of Egypt so that we could go forward into our promised land. That's what the Lord promised. And he would be there with us. He promised us so much more. And today we need to stop wallowing in our pity, pondering on the past, and we need to go forward. We need to stop wallowing in our bitterness, in our resentment, in our negativity, and go forward. So I've got four points. And the first one is in verse 10 of Exodus 14. And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Fear. You see, fear and faith are diametrically opposed to one another. You cannot have faith and experience fear. Here was the Egyptian army that was coming, and they were all petrified. You see, they had left Egypt. They had left Egypt with songs of victory. They were singing, they were dancing, they were hitting the tambourine, they were rejoicing in all that God had done for them. And now all of a sudden they came to a place where they had to stop and they looked back. And they were fearful. There's a German proverb that says, fear makes the wolf bigger than he is. There's an acronym about fear, F-E-A-R. Fantasized experiences appear real fantasized when you look at fear we always make it much bigger than it really is but we cannot experience faith we cannot move forward you see Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says without faith it's impossible to please God which means that God needs to be inside of us he needs to dwell inside of us and he needs to work through us if God is going to do anything it's going to be through us and we need to step in faith what happened when the Israelis initially got to the Jordan River, they had crossed the Red Sea and they got to the Jordan River. The Lord says, I want you to send the priests first with the Ark of the Covenant. And as their feet go into the water, as their feet go into the water, the waters were not separated before where they stood on the shore. It's as they moved in. They would have been a bit stupid. They would have felt really, really awkward if they had gone into the water and nothing happened. But as their feet touched the water, the waters started to separate. And that's what faith is. See, faith is believing in spite of evidence and obeying in spite of consequences. The heroes of the Christian faith, 
would never ever have made it into Hebrews chapter 11 if it wasn't for faith. Noah built an ark. I mean, 6,000 years ago, the ark was pretty big. It was pretty detailed. But what faith? Abraham left Ur of Chaldeas to go into the promised land. Moses led the people out of Egypt as a result of faith. Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho because of faith. David defeated Goliath because of faith. Elijah faced the prophets of Baal because of faith. Daniel refused to defile himself with the king's food because of faith and ended up in the lion's den. Nehemiah led the Jews to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem through faith. You see, faith comes when people say, I'd I don't want to be involved with the status quo. I want to go forward and do something spectacular for the Lord. That's what faith is. One of the best definitions of faith that I've ever seen or heard was the story of the disciples when they were crossing the Sea of Galilee. And there was the storm, and Jesus came walking. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And Jesus said, come. He got out of the water, got out of the boat and walked on the water. And he started to sink. He looked at the wind and the waves, and Jesus pulled him up, and they walked back to the boat together. But one writer says, faith is a concentration on Jesus. As soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. It's a concentration. Focus everything that you've got on Jesus. Pull up your ten pins and go forward in faith. The second thing is, verse 11 and 12. And they said to Moses, It is because there, is no graves, there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. I mean, Egyptians, this, this was a place of bondage and slavery. Leave us alone. Now, all that they're doing here is complaining. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. What they're doing now is moaning, criticizing, complaining. I want to say to you, Pull up that ten pin of moaning and criticism and negativity. Pull it up and go forward. Go forward. Been in ministry for 40 years, and I can tell you, complaining is a sure sign that there's no forward progress. Rick Warren says, if you're not helping to row the boat, all you're doing is rocking the boat. It's true. It's true. There's a fascinating verse. <laughs> it comes to us like a sword. And God's word is like a sword that divides bone and marrow. James chapter 1 and verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this person's religion is worthless. If you do not hold your tongue, I mean, he wipes out 80%. Of religion, possibly 80% of the faith that's in this church. 
with that one verse. Worthless. Because we do not know how to hold our tongue. So what comes out is not faith. What comes out is criticism and negativity. The Israelites had been in the wilderness for 40 years. I mean, it was, it was just maybe two weeks trip to get through the wilderness. But God let them go round and round and round, backwards and forwards, because they complained. They moaned. They moaned about the circumstances. They complained about the leaders. They complained about the lack of water and hardship of the journey. They complained about the strength of the enemies, and they were dissatisfied with the food. I mean, what example? Let's look at Numbers 11, verse 5 and 6. We remember, okay, they, in the middle of, they've been eating manna for a lot of time. And manna that God gave was full of nourishment, but they were sick and tired of it. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. I mean, do you want to go back to bondage? Do you want to go back to slavery? Do you know how bad that slavery was? But all that they can think of is their mouths. They're complaining. In Egypt, that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. If you couldn't see an Israeli coming, you could smell him coming. <laughs> Let's go on to the next verse. But now our strength is all dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. And eventually God says, enough. In verse 14 and verse 26, this is what he says. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall these, they moaning, they complaining, and God says they are wicked. How long will this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said, in my hearing, I will do to you. Enough. Catherine Marshall, she was uh, an author in the 80s. And she said this in her book, Something More. God regards even the lowest rung of protest, of complaining and grumbling, not as a petty personality flaw, or even a sin against God or against somebody else but as a serious sin against God directly. Hmm. Moaning, grumbling, is a serious sin against God directly. Words are a powerful thing. Listen to a couple of verses here. In Proverbs 18 and 20, what, shall, what you say can preserve life or destroy life. Proverbs 15 and verse 14, a careless talker destroys himself, but kind words bring life. See, words are powerful. You remember the centurion that said to Jesus, come and heal my son? And then he, Jesus started to go and he stops and he said, no, no, sir, I don't deserve for you to come to my house. Just speak the word and my servant will get well. He knew just how powerful words were. Just speak the word. Just speak the word. We need to watch what we say. Seriously, we need to watch. You see, criticism and negativity always reflects mediocrity. 
I mean, the people that complain are usually people who have not ventured past the safe, shallow waters of comfort and mediocrity. There's never ever some area of success that the people who are successful don't normally criticize and complain. There's been very little achievement that's taken place in their lives. Criticism is also self-revealing. Remember in Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, what's going on in your heart? If you voice it, it's normally going on in your heart. No. There's too much hypocrisy. There's too much unreality. There's too much fraud and unfriendliness here. It's contained in your heart. Out of the abundance, the Bible says, out of the abundance of that, the mouth speaks. It's better to seem a fool than to open up your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> Criticism also comes from a closed mind. I don't think people really understand when they criticize. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, given it shall be given to you. That's the principle of sowing and reaping. As we give, so it will be given back to us. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will always come back to us bigger and better. But we can logically assume, we can turn that verse around, same principle. If you take from somebody, I'm taking from you. Know this, something will be taken from you. More will be taken from you. And criticism destroys your spiritual life. There is one who speaks rashly, says Romans 12, like thrusts of a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 13 and verse 3, the one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 15, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Look at those words. Health, destruction. Life, death, ruin, healing, all in the power of the tongue. What's coming out of your mouth? You see, it'll always return to you. Always return to you. If you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. Rick Warren had a conversation with Billy Graham the one day. And Rick said to Billy Graham, he said, how do you suggest I handle criticism? And Billy said, years of experience. Rick, if you wrestle with a pig, both of you are going to get muddy. But only one of you is going to enjoy it. <laughs> hmm? We need to remind ourselves who we are in Christ. We are the soul of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are more than conquerors. 
We are an heir of salvation. We are a joint heir with Christ. We are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen people. And we need to remind ourselves of those things over and over again. The third one is pull up the ten pins. Pull up the ten pins of the past. Pull up the ten pins of the past. Don't let the past, some of the prophetic word that, and, and what, what Craig said earlier about the past. Says, people allow the past to hinder them. Looking over their shoulder all the time. You know, one of the worst things in church leadership today is to have a 20th century leader with you. Because he's going back on the past. 22 years. Remember, remember then. Remember what happened. That's, that's the way of success. And they celebrate the achievements and the successes of the past. But they're not looking forward to the future. Rick Warren said, you have to learn to honor the past without perpetuating the past. We are products of our past, but we are not prisoners of it. Don't look back over the past. See, God has a plan and he has a purpose for each one of us. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One thing I do, I move forward, forgetting the past, forgetting the past. See, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he is not based, basing his plan and purpose for your life on past experiences. And whenever you start thinking about those and pondering on those past experiences, you're not thinking about God's future plan. And if the past creeps into the future, it would begin to cloud and darken the future into the present and it will darken the future. And that's not God's plan for your life. It's not. Isaiah 43 and verse 18 and 19 Remember not the former things. Hello. Don't go back to the past, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You see, all of us need to come to that place at the foot of the cross, where we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And at the foot of the cross, the Lord buries our past. He buries our sin, and he forgives us. And that's why he says in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself up for me. I want to say to you, let's move forward. Let's not be restricted and held prisoner of the past. Let's move forward and thank God for that. Thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God for his cleansing and his redemption. And let's move forward. Lift up those tent pins and forget about the past. And we need to move forward. Last week I shared with the Gordons Bay congregation. You see... One of the things that we need to do, and I remember having a conversation with my father years ago, and he said to me when he was still alive, he said, I was still in the Presbyterian church, and he said to me, what are you doing about your growth? 
busy. Spend five minutes explaining all that I'm doing in the church and the ministry and all that kind of stuff. And he looked at me, paused. He says, and so you don't have a plan for growth, do you? I mean, only a father could talk to your son like that. And I realized that I needed to have a plan for growth. You know, the old Tartar tribe in, in Central Asia had a curse. And the curse was not, may your people die of disease, may your swords rust, but their curse was, may you stay in the same place forever. What are you doing about growing? What are you doing about moving on with the Lord? And I want to say, I want to challenge you to get involved. Those folk who are wanting to make this congregation a part of their journey, I want to slot into church, slot into home community groups, and begin to grow. Spend time in the Word. You see, it all starts off with a thought. The thought turns into an action. The action turns into a habit. The habit turns into a character, and the character turns into a destiny. Earl Nightingale said, if a person spends one hour a day on the same subject for five years, that person will become an expert at that subject. Take your strengths. What are your strengths? What are your gifts that God has given to you? Take those gifts and emphasize them and use them. Don't look at your weaknesses. If it's, if it's character weaknesses, then you need to sort them out. But if it's, if it's giftedness and in areas of talent, work on your strengths. I will never... Never be a great singer. I can't even carry a tune in the bucket. I, I've told this story before. Well, Carl was, was leading worship and he was playing his cello and I was worshiping the Lord and I knew at one point I gave it stick and that what came out of my mouth was just a tragedy. <laughs> and I remember I opened my eye and I thought, gee, I hit the wrong note there. And I opened my eye and I looked at Carl and he went, oh, did that really come out of your mouth? <laughs> really? <laughs> hmm. Nobody ever says about Messi or Ronaldo. They're not very good tennis players. Hmm? Remember, what you are is God's gift to you. What you do is your gift back to God. The fourth one, and we're going to finish off with this, is stop hindering those behind you. In this cooped up area, before they began to cross the Red Sea, there were probably three million people. They were all in rows. The person in the 50th row had to wait for the person in the first row second row, all the way to the 49th row to move forward. You, whoever you are, has somebody in front of you and somebody behind you. But you need to move forward so you don't hinder anybody behind you. Pull up those ten pins and move forward. In verse 13 and 15, you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring about today. The Egyptians will see today that you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. You see, 
there's an interesting thing here. When we move forward, we will begin to see miracles taking place. We will see God involved in our lives. And as the Israelites cross the Red Sea and they move towards the promised land, as they moved towards the wilderness, they saw the miracles of God. They saw manna from heaven. They saw water pour out of the rock. They saw quail come flying down to them so that they could eat something else other than the manna. But God is waiting for us to pull up our tent pins and to start moving forward. What will you do today? Are you ready to live by faith and not fear? Are you ready to stop the negativity and to allow God to use you? Are you ready to forget the past and start looking forward? And as you start moving forward, you will begin to see the miracles of God in your life. Let's pray together. I want to say to you today that we can move into a place that we've never been before. Today is a day of new beginnings. Today, with God's help, we can turn our past, any trauma, into overwhelming joy. Today, Lord, we pull up those ten pins. We pull up those ten pins of difficulty and struggling. And we move forward with you into a place of victory and joy. We pull up those ten pins of darkness and confusion. And we move forward with you, Lord, into a place of light and understanding. We pull up those ten pins of defeat and discouragement and move forward with you, Lord, into a place of success and prosperity. We pull up those ten pins of discomfort and pain and we move forward into a place of healing and wholeness. We forget about the past, Lord. We, 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 we submit it to you. We, we thank you, God, that you have come, that you've forgiven us and we place them, those, all those negative experiences at the foot of the cross. All our failures, all our sins, all our trauma and we receive your forgiveness. Today, God requires only one thing from you, is that you will take one step, one step of faith, in order to move forward with him into 2022, into a year of great victory and great blessing in God. Just one step. So, I'm going to ask for a response now. If today you say to the Lord, I want to go forward, Lord. I want you to stand and I'll continue to pray over you. I want you to stand and say, today, Lord, I'm going to pull up those ten pins and I'm going to go forward in you. Thank you, God. Thank you that we have made this decision today to go forward. 
to go forward with you in the strength of your wonderful might, in the ability of your Holy Spirit. Allow us, Lord, to move forward with you in ways that we have never imagined. Take us on journeys. Take us on adventures that we have never, ever anticipated or expected as we see the wonder of your love, as we see the excitement of your mercy and grace in and upon each one of our lives. Thank you, Lord. We will continue to go forward. In Jesus' name. Amen.